friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. This is a message on big grace for faithful. Actually, um, it's for faithful. Sorry, did I say prophets? I probably did. It's really for faithful protests. <laughs> but it's big grace for faithful protests. And I'll look in it because and he's a prophet. John the Baptist is a prophet. Um, but it, he's also protesting. And the reason I'm doing this is that sometimes when we protest to God, we feel like we're being not faithful to God. We feel like we're rebelling. But sometimes when we protest as God's kids, it actually draws God much closer to us, not further away. So I want to read to you um, the account of this. This is from Matthew 13. Um, and Matthew spends a lot of time, and this is in David Bentley Hart's New Testament translation. I think it's really good here in particular with some difficult words. Uh, the, the scenario here is that John the Baptist is in prison. Um, we know that because he confronted Herod about a situation that he had with his brother's wife. He was put in prison. He baptized Jesus. He's Jesus' cousin. He pointed people to Jesus, and life isn't going well. And he begins to doubt if Jesus is who he says he is. So two of John's friends come to Jesus and ask him a question in front of a bunch of other people. So they hear John the Baptist questioning his leader. And like, ooh, like Jesus must be really losing it because all his friends are questioning him, especially the one that was most faithful to him is protesting against him. Ooh, maybe this whole kingdom of God stuff is cracking up. So that's the context, okay? Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 19. And it happened that when Jesus finished issuing instructions to his 12 disciples... He went from there to teach and to make proclamation in their cities. And John, that's John the Baptist, in prison, heard of the works of the anointed of the Lord. And sending word by two of his disciples, he said, Are you he who is coming, or should we expect another? And in reply, Jesus said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see again, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and dead men are raised, and the destitute are given the good tidings. And blissful is he who is not scandalized by me. And as they're going on, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to gaze at? A reed being shaken by the wind? But then what did you go to see? A man clothed in soft finery? Look, those clad in soft finery are in the houses of kings. But then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and much more than a prophet, this is he concerning whom it has been written, quote, See, I send forth my messenger before your face, who will prepare your path before you. Amen, I tell you. Among those born of women, there is not arisen one greater than John the Baptist, but a lesser man in the kingdom of the heavens is greater than he. Yet from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of the heavens has been violently assailed, and the violent seize it. For all the prophets and the law, right up to John, prophesied. And if you're willing to accept this, he is himself Elijah, who is destined to come. Whoever has ears, let him listen. But what shall I like in this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace, who, accosting the others, say, we played flutes for you, and you did not dance. We wailed in lamentations, and you did not beat your breasts. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, 
And they say, look, a gluttonous and wine-besotted man, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And wisdom has been vindicated by her works. This is the Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds together be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Um, Deb, can you put up that quote there? I want to... This is from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Uh, if you've not read Screwtape Letters, it's a, it's a great book. And even the premise is just brilliant. The whole premise is Screwtape is a devil, and he's teaching his nephew, Wormwood, how to harass people. And so the whole point of the book is like, okay, this is how you harass people, and how you get people distracted and not to trust in God. So in one of the letters, what, what Screwtape is saying to his nephew is this, like, as you harass people, be aware of this. He says, do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, that's God, looks around about the universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. What does he mean by that? He says, it's really dangerous when people are in very difficult circumstance and they still obey God. You know why? Because God runs to them. God comes to their side. God loves faithful protests. That's what this is getting at. And by the way, he stole this from George MacDonald in one of his sermons. I've been listening to this, this podcast that and he even C.S. Lewis admits it. He says, I steal all my stuff from George MacDonald. And here in his anthology of, of George MacDonald, he even shows where he steals all his stuff. But he makes it sound better than George MacDonald anyway. Uh, but he's kind of stealing this from George MacDonald. But have you ever thought about that? That sometimes when you protest to God, we tend to think, oh, my faith is slipping. You're not doing anything. Like when we give God a grade on his job that day, like uh, very poor job performance today. And we think we're being faithless or we're rebelling. What... What God is saying, no, I, I want to hear the faithful protests of my children. I'll give an example of this. This is, um, it was hard for me, but I, I still remember it. We were, we were young. We had, we had uh, four of our five children at this time. We were living in Oakley, California, Northern California. We had folks over at our house. I can still picture where this was. This was on the steps going upstairs, and we had folks from friends from church, friends in the neighborhood, and Joseph, our oldest, may have been, I don't know, maybe seven or eight. I said, hey, buddy, it's time to go to bed. And he started going up the stairs, and he turned around, came down the stairs, and said, hey, Dad, is there any other reason I should obey you other than the fact that you told me? Okay, blood pressure, blood pressure, blood pressure, blood pressure. Uh, get upstairs, young man. But wow, that was a really good question, wasn't it? And I, I mean, he just wanted to know. But he did it publicly, and I thought, oh, get upstairs now. Like, but that's a really good question. And looking back on it, I, I wish I would have been more like our Father in heaven. He just wanted to know. Like, who bosses me around? Why, why do I listen to them? It was a faithful protest. But it comes across as, as embarrassing and striking. And, I, you know, looking back... Um, so, sorry, Jojo, I should have handled that better. I should have said, oh, come here, babe, that's a great question. But I didn't do that. But I, I want you to see, this is what Jesus does. Because I want to picture the, the situation. 
in Matthew 13. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was born pointing people to Jesus. And there's a great article by Gerhardus Voss in his little book on shorter writings. It's a little three-page story on the ministry of John the Baptist. It's beautiful. But this is basically what it is. You know why John is so weird? You, people, you know why he dresses like Fred Flintstone? He wears weird clothes. He, he eats, you know, like he just, rub, he just eats gross stuff. He's essentially an Old Testament prophet thrown into the New Testament. He's the last of the prophets. So the ministry of John the Baptist is to be the last prophet, and the prophet points to Jesus. So he is like the end of the Olympic torch, and he gets to light the torch, who's Jesus himself. So he is out of time. And he embodies all the Old Testament prophets from Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah. He's just, so think of a guy that God kind of time warped, like, boop, I know you're in the New Testament, but you're really from the Old Testament, living in the New Testament world. So that's why he dresses like Fred Flintstone. Because he's just, we could say, oh, he took the Nazarite vows. No, he's an Old Testament prophet. He's the last one. And he pointed people to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he knew he was the one. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he wasn't worthy to untie his sandals, but Jesus says, please baptize me. And he did. And he said, I must decrease and he must increase. And then those who followed John the Baptist began following Jesus. So his job was done. But then he's in prison. And then he realizes that Jesus is not doing the things that he thought he would do. We, we looked at Isaiah 35. You didn't realize it, but... but Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 35 about the blind receiving their sight and the lame walking. But John the Baptist was hoping that when Jesus come, came, he was going to bring vengeance on Rome. He was going to cut them down. John talks about, I've got an axe in my hand and I'm going to cut it at the root and winnowing stuff. And like, boom, boom, come on, when Jesus comes, oh yeah. And when Jesus came, he's just, instead of being separate from sinners, he's befriending them. And instead of hurting people, he's healing them. And John's like, who are you? Are, are you really the anointed? Are you really God? And notice what Jesus doesn't do. Because you can imagine if, if there were the crowd, of, like if this was high school, like, this is what happened. Are, are, are you the one? And all the guys like, ooh, oh, face, man, oh. He just threw shade on Jesus. Oh, man, what are you going to do? Jesus is losing it. His best guy is out. He's out. Oh, man. You think Jesus is like, whoa. And Jesus says, wait, you guys are making fun of John? No, he's, he's my cousin. In fact, of all the people born in the Bible, no one is greater than, than anyone except my cousin, except in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus means by that, he says, post-Easter, when people see what I'm going to do, but pre-Easter, if you want to rank all the people like superstars of the Bible, John goes right at the top. I'm not going to throw him under the bus. His protest is a faithful protest. And I'm going to answer it. So what was he protesting? He didn't like what Jesus was doing. He was imprisoned and he was suffering. And if he was suffering, why didn't Jesus have vengeance on the people that put him in prison? Why didn't Jesus have vengeance? Why didn't Jesus have vengeance? He wanted to trust him. So this is what I've learned from this. You know, you can love someone or something, but not really trust them. 
Those of you that have pets, you can love your pet. But do you trust your pet? Leave that hamburger nice and low. Do you trust your dog? No, of course not. Leave that front door open. Do you trust your dog? No, of course not. They'll just go live with someone else. I love our dog. She would gladly go live with someone else. She doesn't care where she lives. If she's out, I'm scared. So I love her, but I don't trust her. And you can also depend on people and love them, but not trust them. You might love your boss. You might depend on your boss. Do you often trust your boss? No, I could don't answer that question. Okay. But, 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 but no, you don't have to trust them. But the most important thing in relationships, what makes love and knowledge of someone even better, is when you have trust. Now, a lot of people say they love God. A lot of people say they have faith in God. A lot of people say, we say we desire God. But deep down, there are times in our lives where we don't trust God. We don't trust that God has good in mind for us at every moment. We trust that, well, God has a good plan for us, but there are certain strategies along that plan that we don't trust that are good. So we don't trust. John was getting to the point in his life where he said, I have known you from my mother's womb. I love you. But I'm beginning not to trust you. Are you him? And Jesus ran to him and said, I am. I am. Now he goes on to say, now, I know why, John, you're saying this. He says that there are people that are seizing the kingdom of heaven violently. There are people that are making fun of God and of me, His Son, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're violently assailing the kingdom. And it hurts. And you think I'm not doing anything about it. And so you're saying, are you really going to win over sin and violence and suffering? When are you going to do this yourself? And Jesus says, um, John, hang in there. The kingdom of heavens is violently being assailed, but wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. I will deal with this on Good Friday. And instead of striking violence with violence, I will expose your violence and receive it into myself and show you my strength that your violence does nothing to me. And I will die and go into the ground, and three days later I'll rise again, and I'll forgive those who were violent toward me. There are times in your life when you may not trust God, but you're afraid to say it. And I'm here as your brother to say, you have to, or your faith will wither. It'll just wither. It'll go away because your love for God will be compromised. And I think we, we don't trust God over two of the same issues that, that John is kind of wrestling with here. Now, what are the two areas that we don't tend to trust God? Why doesn't God do something about the violence in the world? Why doesn't God show up? Why does God seem so absent when the kingdom of heaven is assaulted with violence? And we look for a reason. 
another, I think another reason, another situation that happens is um, human affliction, which is violence, but human affliction, especially towards children, is really hard. Makes no sense. God, where are you when there's human affliction towards children? What is, what is the reason for this? And what I've learned from this text is that when we say, God, what is the reason for these things? What is the reason for the violence? What is the reason for the affliction? God never answers it with a reason. He answers it with a person. A real person. It's Jesus. But what's the reason? I'm here. But what's the reason? I'm here. We are so, dare I say it, addicted to reason. Rationality. We, but we have to be in a big, this is a big girl and big boy world. There are some things that are so irrational, there's no reason for them. There's no reason for them. They're just unexplainably bad. Dumb luck. Stupid. No reason. And reality is more important than reason. And God gives us the reality of Jesus. So what do we do when, we, when we're confronted with violence? We look at the one on the cross who took all that violence and destroyed it by just letting it happen to him and then on the third day resurrected himself and said, this has no power over me or over you. But what about the affliction of a child? It's only the same thing. We've got to look to Jesus. That his presence is co-suffering love. And, and God gives us not a reason. He gives us a person. So sometimes we say, Lord, I don't understand the violence. I need, I need a way out. And how does God answer that in the scriptures? Well, Jesus says, I am the what? I'm your way. No, I'm not going to give you a reason. I'm going to give you me. Lord, I feel like I'm, I'm dying here. I, I need some oxygen. You've got to throw me something. Well, I'm the life. You get me. And I need to know the truth why this happened, Lord. Give me the reason. Oh, I'll give you no reason. I am the what? Truth. He gives us himself. And he wants us to ask him the question, are you good all the time? And when we look to Jesus, when we imagine him, even now sitting at the right hand of the Father, we are confronted with the answer, which is yes. And God says, you may not trust me right now. That's okay. That's a faithful protest. But you will know that if you look to me, your trust in me will grow. And what I'm learning more and more, I feel like a kid. I can only know God if I really trust him. I know theology. Nika knows theology. I know philosophy. I love philosophy. I know all the music from 1965 to 1978. I love all that stuff. I love old rock and roll and jazz and all that stuff. But if I want to know God, anytime my trust is compromised, i got to tell him. I got to be like Joseph. Dad, is there any other reason why I should obey you other than the fact that you told me? 
I'm beginning not to trust you. And I don't want to not trust you. I want to trust you. And that's when Screwtape says, uh-oh, uh-oh, Wormwood, don't let them do that. Because when they do that, all the angels and the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself say, that's my kid. That's my kid. Come here, babe. I got you. I got you. I got you. That's the whole point of it. I got you. Trust me. But ask the hard question. Because if you don't ask the hard question, it's going to fester inside of you. And you're going to say, Lord, I love you, but I don't trust you. But I dare not say it out loud. Because I think you think I'm rebelling. You're not rebelling. Do you have any loved ones, any friends, who are really upset with what's going on in Christianity today? They don't understand why certain Christians um, are proponents of violence. There's no way to put it. Like, how can they follow Jesus and be such proponents of violence? And we think, oh, there they go. They're losing their faith. They're rebelling. Has it ever occurred to, you, to us that they're not rebelling, but they're actually expressing their faith through that revolt? They're expressing their faith. They're saying, I want to trust you, God. This doesn't look like you. And I, I think that's often the case. We need to look at, at things the way Jesus looks at things. God gives big grace to faithful prophets, but he also gives big grace to faithful protests. And if you don't faithfully protest, your trust in the one that you love will be compromised. And if you don't trust him, you don't know him. It's the same in your best human relationships. You want to trust your brother? You want to know your brother? You got to tell him, buddy, I, want, I need to trust you because I need to know you better. Couples that say to each other, we love each other, but we don't trust each other, are in therapy. Because they know it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work if there's no trust. So they got to be honest and say, I want to trust you more. You broke trust with me. But it's going to take a while to build it back. I want to trust you. Why? Because I want to know you. I want to know you. So for us to know God, we must Trust that God is good. And if we're doubting it, God says, give me your faithful protest. You are my child. I will come to your aid. And if others make fun of you, like, ooh, he's losing it, he will treat you the way he treated John the Baptist. Oh, that's my kid. That's my kid. And he'll answer us with something bigger than a reason. He'll answer us with the reality of himself. Now, that may seem unsatisfactory, but boy, I think it's very satisfactory. You know, I, I heard someone recently um, lost their faith because they were trying to contemplate eternity, and it made no sense to them. Like, I'm just going to get bored. Like, wow, how many times can you play bingo? How many times can you play that golf course? Like, woo! I mean, this sounds horrible. It sounds like... Uh, Groundhog Day, but you really, uh, like, really? I, I'd want to bust out of it. And, and I think that person is missing the point. If, if I was able to talk to him or her that said that, I would say, you know, well, the, the purpose of heaven is not so much that you live forever. The purpose for heaven is that you get to know and be with God. To know God, the maker of all things. And he just happens to be eternal. 
But that is inexhaustible. I want to meet a person that, I want to know the person that made me and everything else. I want to know that person. Oh, but they just happened to be eternal. So it's not about things. And what do we get in heaven? Things? Reasons? Truth? We get, we get a person that we're united to. In fact, St. Peter says we're partakers of the divine nature. What? It's even better than you can imagine. Which means that we're united to a person that we love who just happens to live forever. I can't wait for that. But in the meantime, God wants us to know God. And we can only know God when we trust God. And when trust slips, let him know. Be Joseph on the stairs. Dad, is there any other reason why I should trust you other than you saying you should, I should trust you? And if you're honest about it, I actually think you'll feel the presence of God say, oh, come here, babe. It's okay. That's a good question. That's a real good question. I'm with you. But what's the reason? I'm with you. But why did this happen? I'm with you. And when the Lord does that, it's enough. Because in the end, we get him. So, green light for all of your faithful protests. God will not make fun of you. He will draw near. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for John the Baptist being so honest about his protest. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for defending your cousin in the front of all those people who wanted you to throw him under the bus, and you didn't do it. And thank you, God, for being so surprising. You are good, and there is human affliction, and there's a contradiction between those two things, and the only way that we can make any kind of hope or sense with this is just to look at you, Jesus, because between your left hand and your right hand on the cross, we see the goodness of God, and we see your co-suffering love and human affliction, and you are enough. Give us the courage, Lord, to tell you when our trust in you is slipping, and as we do that, please give us yourself. We ask in your name. Amen.